You're listening to the MindShift.School podcast. Welcome to the MindShift.School podcast, a conversation about the future of Christian education. Hi, this is John Huang, and I will be your host for today's episode. For this episode, I sat down with Michael Chen, an educator with over two decades of experience in urban education, international development, and organizational change, and who currently serves as the head of school at Pacific Bay Christian School in Pacifica, California. Michael is also a co-author of From White to Mosaic, a chapter in the book Mindshift, Catalyzing Change in Christian Education, which you can find on our website at mindshift.school. Today we'll be hearing from Michael about his experiences as an immigrant to the United States, the biblical case for diversity in Christian education, and the importance of collaboratively unpacking privilege, disparity, racism, and biases to bridge the gaps between individuals and communities. Let's get into the conversation. Mike, if you could, if you could share with us your background, just kind of tell us your story. Like before you became a head of school where you are now, if you could kind of work backwards to how you kind of got into education and even start from a little bit earlier of what got you interested yeah. in education in the first place. Yeah, I think, I think I came from a family where my, both of my parents had in their early careers of being teachers. My dad had taught science. My mom was a, was a high school math mm. teacher and they were both in Taiwan. But for a variety of reasons, my mom became a stay-at-home mom, and mm-hmm. and my dad went into business, textile export business from in Taiwan. We immigrated to the U.S. back in late '80s. I was mm. a teenager, oh, and, okay. and and gone through the, the 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 sort of the immigration experience. I always felt like I am the other person, right? And in fact, this is sort of the space I occupy where, you know, growing up, I always feel like I'm not Chinese enough and I'm not American enough. And, yeah. Right? Tell you know, me about it. In between. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But love science, love enjoying, really curious about that. But I also just love, you know, knowledge and, and ideas. When went to college to study physics hmm. when I finished. I realize I'm very much of a people person. I like to interact with people rather than just stay in the lab. So I thought perhaps teaching will be a, a good uh, good place to go. And started teaching uh, at a Christian school in a suburb here in the Bay Area wow. for about seven years. Done fairly well, and and then decided that I want to study just just get a get get a, a graduate degree and study more. Meanwhile, I got recruited to Boston Trinity Academy to be part of the, the startup effort to develop a school that focused on diversity, Christian center community, and also academic rigor. And that was a very attractive proposition mm. where you had this three-fold mission and you got everybody, you know, probably the medium age at that time was like, all in in the 30s and so we had this young crew ambitious goal and so we were doing that and and i was part of that that dynamic team and so 
you know, and, and it's a school where you're wrestling with a lot of very complex questions about human beings, students, racial tensions, hmm. socioeconomic diversities, equity issues. So anyway, so done some really interesting work and got an opportunity to come out to California. Yeah. And was a superintendent of a of a pre-K to 12 school for a couple of years. And now I'm in this new school. It's actually not new anymore because I've been here for more than two years. Mm-hmm. And I've done some really fun and interesting work with the school. Right. How did you get into Christian education versus just like, what? tell me the story of the backstory of deciding to be, you know, a teacher in a Christian, a Christian school and going down that path. Because uh, I believe you did your your doctorate at Boston University and some other other places. So, I guess was was that were you teaching at a Christian a Christian school before you went to your, did your doctorate work, or was that from the beginning? Yeah, yeah. I I started out teaching after college. I went straight into a Christian school. Okay. Was that and conscious? It's interesting is no, I wasn't really conscious. Okay. I, I think I think. I think the idea was I just have always been very fascinated about human development, mm-hmm. development of students' mind and character and all that. And that is consistent to sort of my doc- eventual doctoral work about development in the international yeah. setting, yeah. development of community. And I became Christian in college at UC Berkeley. And that really, in that place, you, you really need to know and and believing what you believe in right you know and 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 so when i when i when i came out of college and i thought i want to teach and but something was that i was drawn to was well is it possible to connect the two which is my deep faith in christ and also in teaching right and so i just thought that perhaps the christian school is a good option and i was fortunate to be hired and, and start out that journey. But, but you know, get, you get thrust into this, that, that setting and you begin to, when you become an insider, you begin to critique it. You begin to see right. all the areas where things can be done better and differently. Yeah. And so that's where I am. So it's really unique that you kind of come from somebody from the outside who, had, who hasn't gone through a Christian school experience and then become a teacher. So then you you kind of start to witness or observe things. What are some of the things that teachers who maybe grew up in the Christian schools or people who grew up in the church kind of t- either take for granted or they don't realize, you know, the what what do you, I guess what were your observations that that you thought was kind of odd or particular or or unique, you know, as somebody coming into it and seeing for the first time. Well, I, what I what I noticed is is that the 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 colleagues that I interact with, especially in the beginning, that their version of Christianity and and how they think of Christian education is particularly looking at it through a very particular cultural lens. Okay. Right. It's a very particular cultural lens, and in in, in the beginning, I saw that that perhaps that's the only way to do it and mm-hmm. because it was, this was the suburb in the bay area very homogenous society uh, uh, community i was the first person of color to be on the faculty oh really yeah yeah and there was some really 
funny, awkward, ignorant questions being put forward to me, uh, even as a colleague. Hmm. A lot of assumptions being made, and I exercise grace and patience, and 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 trying to understand what 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 my place is in in in, in that setting. But over time, you you realize that you know Christian school or faith based education is not, you know, it's not homogenous, and there's the beauty in diverse perspectives. Right. If you think about just the, if you even think about the Christian faith. Hmm. You know, at the very beginning, when you know, first century believers, it's the outsiders that are coming in to disrupt the central core of understanding, and 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 that that disruption did not shake the fundamental faith in the monolithic God right. or the the, the 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 God of universe, yep. but rather as a tremendous dimension of perspective into the to the understanding of that exactly. God. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it sounds like you've experienced firsthand of somebody being of a minority, a person of color in a dominant culture. And we, you know, that's something that we all experience as somebody, especially Asians and other diverse, you know, kind of minorities and whatnot. You talk about in the book about how students also experience that when they're asked to you know, you know, essentially study in a predominantly white uh, school, in many cases where Christian schools are not are not very diverse and whatnot. What what are some things that students experience as they are going through school and their careers as a student as a minority? So, in my experience, teaching experiences with a lot of, with students who are who are person of color, what they often they their attitude going through these schools or schooling is with a with some degrees of of a sense of resignation. They resign to the fact that they're the minority. Okay. They just had to, you know, they just had to kind of, you know, keep keep it low and low profile and not to disrupt, or they switch code. They say, you know, they 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 say things differently than what they really think. Mm. And yes, they they recognize that the system is set up that they had to play a different set of rules in order to, you know, be able to grow, mature, advance, and whatnot. Right. And so there's that challenge right there. Mm. So, I mean, there's a phrase saying that the student needs to conform to the dominant culture and whatnot. As a head of school or a principal or a teacher, if you have somebody who who is diverse, how how do you recommend schools and teachers and leaders accommodate slash create a culture that embraces or allows the individual to be the diverse person that they are, unique and what does that look like, and how, what are some stories that you can tell about how to do that? Yeah, so in the book chapter that I talk about, we talk about, with my co-authors, we talk about how diversity in of itself is not a goal, hmm. right? Diversity in of itself is a precondition. Uh, precondition to what? Precondition to a shared endeavor and collective endeavor to build a more equitable community, to build a more more of a community that's reflected of Christ center values. And and so so I think 
there is no, you know, silver bullet, if you will, a yeah. easy answer. You know, what, often we say, okay, if we can just hire more diverse teachers or have more, you know, change the diverse, change the admission policies, that in of itself is, is going to be fine. Having diversity will be a goal, but that's not true, right? Right. Ultimately, I think, and, and depending on how you are reflecting to your particular geographical location, your community, you may not be able to get diversity up to a certain percentage, for example. Sure, right, right. But, but ultimately, what's important is the, 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 those who are in a position of power, such as head of school, the president of the board, those key administrators and principals, I think the first step is self-reflection. Hmm. I don't understand where might your biases be, where might be your particular your, your particular cultural lens that may give you insight into the culture, the broader culture, and also what areas will allow you to make have blind spots. And, and you have to come to a re, really honest self-realization. Hmm. How are we interpret things differently? And this is really going back to the, this idea of reconstruction or deconstruction, hmm. deconstructing our own bias and allowing other perspectives to come alongside of our, you know, sheer endeavor to build a more equitable school together. Yeah. I know you don't, probably don't have the book in front of you, but you guys do a great job. Oh, I do. Laying I, do. The, I do. Okay. <laughs> and you know, you talk about building the foundation about the type of knowing that people need to have. And you, as you make the case for diversity in Christian education, without, you know, spelling every detail, could you just verbalize how you would explain to somebody the case for diversity if you were just sitting across from them over coffee? You know, if they ask you, Help me understand what's the case for diversity, right? I think the case of diversity to me is is both simple and complex. And so I'll give you the simple version, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. Oftentimes we say, well, what is the ultimate purpose that we have in life? Well, we get some different versions, but one simple version would be that it's about discipleship, hmm. about our life and growth in Christ, in the life of Christ. So that means that we, everything that we do, we emulate what Christ has done for hmm. us mm-hmm. and in this world. But the very most, most important thing that Christ or God, what God has done for us is that Christ, he himself, mm-hmm. as a qualitative different type of being, so to speak, came down to earth and reach out. And that that is in of itself a picture of diversity. And he didn't stop there. He talks about the Trinitarian God Hmm. between the three fundamentally very different aspects of, of the Godhead, and yet there's a unity in that. And I think that's really, really challenging. Because I mean, if you think about it, how in the world do I know exactly what my 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 dog is thinking? There's no way, right? Mm-hmm. My dog is qualitatively a different creature than me. Mm-hmm. 
I just can't do it. I don't understand. I can get a hint of it, understand, you know, but ultimately, I have no idea what he's thinking. In the same way, right, we are a qualitatively different type of being from God or Christ himself, and yet he has ability to reach out and then what, what he's demonstrating and he's commissioning us to do is to do exactly the same with one another. Right? And we're not interacting with our puppies or pets, but we're interacting with other human beings. Hmm. And we are to find a way to connect, reach out. And then here's the thing, Christ models Jesus model how God does that by humble himself, right? Philippians talk about how he humble himself, mm-hmm. right? Take on a form of human beings and even going to the cross. So question here is, what is the focus of the life of a disciple? Well, it's about humility, and this is what my co-author Joe Gang often talks about cultural humility. How do you lay down your pride, your cultural pride, your sense of identity and liberty? You lay it all down and you said, John, I don't know you. It's not even a single possibility I can get into your head. I'm willing to lay down my assumptions my pride, I'm going to connect with you. Mm-hmm. I'm, going to, I'm going to try to understand your struggle, your difficulties, and I'm going to try to understand how you experience the world that I inhabit. Yeah. If I'm part of the dominant culture, I inhabit a world and I experience very differently from someone who is not from the dominant culture. Right. Do I have the humility to lay that all down. How do you help students realize this this need, right? Like it's one thing for us to call it out and for us to reflect ourselves as individuals and leaders and whatnot. But as you think about the community, your church and your school, for them to reflect not just individually, but as collectively as a, as a, as a community, you have a story about how you guys led that at Trinity Boston. So maybe this is a good segue kind of like for you to share what that experience was like of how at Boston Trinity Academy, it sounded like there was, there was an, a really powerful experience of how you led and facilitated a lot of these conversations as well as helped students to come to realize. So can you share that story with us? Yeah, absolutely. One particular year, a group of seniors have a discussion with me and talk about how Boston Training Academy was a diverse school, but we gotta do more. Hmm. There's something, seem to be something missing between people. There's gap and in terms of relationships, in terms of the way in which we had differential experience in the school life. Right. And they say, can we design an experience where people can truly come to their authentic self and truly genuinely connect with one another. Right. So we explore different things. Eventually we design a series of activities. We develop, we carve out time at the end of May 
we carve out, I believe, two weeks of time to bring together the junior class. As they're finishing out their year, the junior class, they got together and it's led by the seniors. And so I, you know, I'm more of a, just a, the overseer of that, of the whole process, but the seniors will lead a discussion. And so immediately there's uh, sort of the, the trust that's already been built. It's not teachers doing things to students, but, but rather students are doing things with each other. Okay. And then number two, so a series of, a, a series of, of activities include, for example, that they will do a exercise of how they come to know what, how they are in common. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that they share and in common, things that they find unique and interesting. And at some point, there was a switch that got turned in terms of activities. And this activity turns into something like, what are some of the things that they are not in common? Mm. So, for example, they all lined up in the, on, on, by the wall. And the question would be, Hey, step forward if you like certain things. So many people step forward. They like certain things. They will hold hands. They turn around and look at people who have not stepped forward. They not only see the commonality, and they also see the difference. The question gets increasingly more serious. Step forward if you have experienced people ridiculing you because of your race. Mm. People will step forward and they will turn around and see who had not experienced those things. Mm-hmm. There will be question about step forward if you never have any doubt that you will go to college. Mm. Right? So you, be- you immediately begin to see folks who are more privileged. When they turn around, they realize, wait a minute, my, my classmate, my friend, Hmm. didn't have the same experience question like step forward step forward if you never had to worry a single day for a meal out of necessity Hmm. they'll come forward and they turn around and they realize oh my goodness there are about a couple handful of students who have experienced hunger Hmm. out of necessity or miss a meal out of necessity Wow. And lastly, we end, usually end with this question. And the assumption that the senior, the, the student leaders have thought was, well, we can end on a great note where I'm sure everybody will experience this. And that way it will be a good way to find a rallying, you know, sort of commonality together. Right. And say, well, step forward if you, at some point in your life, genuinely experience love. Mm. And one would assume that everybody would step forward. I remember vividly that one year, that very first year, everyone stepped forward except this one girl. Mm. And then when everybody turned around, this girl just weeped. Mm. And that did something to that whole class. Mm. And Following that, for the subsequent days, we were able to begin to unpack privilege, disparity, racism, mm. and biases. That was a powerful experience. But we didn't stop there. 
saw the last two sessions of that experience, we bring up the question. Now that we unpack all these things, how then do we move forward? What would be the vision that you have as a class now that you're junior and next year when you come back in the fall, you're gonna be the senior class of the school leading the rest of the, of the school. How could you allow this new understanding to better your leadership position in the school? Right. And we support them in that way. We allow them to have authentic and genuine partnership with administration, with teachers to shape what next year will look like. Right, right. So that's the program itself. And, you know, to it's, it warms my heart that that continues on yeah. ever since I left five years ago. Mm. I've heard Jenny said this and I read in the chapter, you talk about how the question of diversity really is, it needs to be reflected in everything that we do, right? Not just in the, these conversations that students have in the programs and workshops that we do, but that you guys talk about in the admissions policy, maybe the faculty hiring practices, curriculum decisions and whatnot. Can you just expand on that and, and kind of, what do you mean by that? And just kind of talk about how it permeates everything and every part of, of the school. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it comes from the theological reflection on what discipleship is about and what our commission, you know, we talk about great commission, but ultimately the commission, the, the, the great commission that we have is in the context of diverse, globalized world. Yeah. And so, and it's about bridging the gap as Second Corinthians talk about, we have a ministry of reconciliation right. amongst the broken world. So we had to assume that between people, in, as individuals, and between people groups, cultural groups, there's a significant brokenness between these divisions. Hmm. And so we had to figure out how to model that process of reconciliation. Step number one is that you had to have the environment and condition to do that to the best of, the, of your ability within that local community context. You got the first example of Preston Woods Christian Academy where in a very homogenous area of Texas, they make significant effort to increase the, the, the percentage of, of student color. But then immediately we move to the, the Philadelphia school, right? the city school, where you have inner city school, and yet you have a very non-diverse faculty, and you have to figure out, well, how then do you bridge the gap between the, the particular kind of cultural lens that teachers are, are seeing things through and what students are going through? Yeah. And then you have very similarly Boston Training Academy is the same way, very similar to the city school. And, and so, so all that is you had to bring, you know, you know, these kind of a diverse uh, diversity lens into things that you study, the curriculum choices you have, and, you know, having the, the student makeup that produce, that pro provide a condition for these mm -hmm. kind of conversations to happen. And then having the diverse faculty and administration from policy setting 
to the way colleagues interact and bring right. about the richness to the learning experience. In terms of uh, resources or after reading this chapter, what are some places and books maybe or things that you would, you know, areas of study that you would recommend somebody to go down the path of to begin informing themselves and kind of shaping their, their, their worldview around, you know, what diversity looks like and how to, how to introduce and do reconciliation in, in the community and the school that they're in. What, what kind of resources or path, where would you point to for somebody? Like, what, what do I, what can I study and what can I, what would you recommend I, I study? To answer that question, I want to start out with something slightly negative, which is unfortunately Christians in here in the, in the, in the U.S. context have not been leading the, the, the conversation around diversity and racial reconciliation, yeah. especially in Christian schools. So therefore, you know, with the, the, the group that the Christian Educator Diversity Alliance, I, I think that might be the, the one of the few attempts amongst Christian educators who come together and really explore this, this question. Yeah. But if you want to reach out to, to do a patchwork of resources from from outside of a necessarily you know exclusively Christian context, then you will reach the bookshelf and pull out you know why do black students sit together in the cafeteria by Beverly Tatum, Professor Tatum's book, incredible book, which will unpack a lot of the the some of the things that that, that we're talking about. Lisa Del Pitt. Lisa Delpit, the other people's children, is really talking about well, how do you, you know, how do student children respond differently to teachers in the classroom settings because of their cultural orientation and context, and yet, you know, if teachers don't really understand that, they will really interpret the situation in a remarkably, remarkably different way. Right. You know. So one example would be, you know, if if you come from a, a set cultural context where your mom says, "Hey Johnny, can you clean? You know, can you clean up clean up your your room?" Mm -hmm. It's a formal question, but it's actually a statement and a command. Yep. And the Johnny will be like, "Yes, I will go and clean up my room." Whereas in another context, the mom will say, "Go clean up your room." So if that child is in the context, in the classroom context where teachers is telling the student to do something, but it's in the form of a question, then the student may simply answer the question and say, oh, no, no thanks. And then the teacher may think that that is a behavioral issue. Right. And so that has some negative consequence to that kind of a miss judgment and miscalculation of a cultural context. From the Christian point of view, I, I would say that there are many, several books written by Professor Sung Chang Ra. Yeah. Sung Chang Ra written a lot of books regarding race, diversities, in, in, in a, some of the most richly sort of theological grounding, and I would recommend that one would do that. And if you want to read anything regarding immigrants, experience, Professor Russell John, 
who is a professor at San Francisco State, also have written many books on the topic. Thank you. I have a last question. It's a little more personal. So one of the things that as I, I've, I've kind of gone through the immigration experience, I'm, I'm technically a second gen, but then I lived in Korea for over 10, 10, 11 years. And I went to the Korean schools for a while and then I came back. Oh, wow. Stayed. So yeah. I kind of came, went back and forth in between and ended up relearning English and other things. So it's kind of maybe a little bit unique and, and maybe not, but one of the things I, I, I experienced growing up was this kind of sense that I thought that diversity was something that was a, a moral issue and that the goal was to have no color. The goal was to have the heaven would be completely integrated and that I had some serious issues with, especially a lot of the immigrant churches that I had been attending, that they were too homogenous, they were too insular, they couldn't do ministry outside of their four walls. And so I was very critical of homogenous groups and in, in, in my ethnicity and a lot of other things of, you know, as an immigrant living in, in the States. I've come to come around there and kind of feel like I'm in somewhere in the middle where I've come to deeply appreciate and understand how difficult it is for my parents to have to learn English or for first generation immigrants to fully assimilate. So this expectation to, you know, learn English is just as unreasonable <laughs> for us as we, as our parents in many ways expected us to somehow speak Chinese or Korean, you know, and, and be fluent in, in both languages or whatever. I'm kind of curious what your position is in, you know, personally, how you feel about that in terms of whether we need everybody to be homogeneously in many ways mixed and be the melting pot versus being the salad bowl where we have individual identities and yet still coexisting and 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 you know yeah essentially coexisting what do you think what, what's your reaction to that oh yeah definitely i have many thoughts on that there is really no good or perfect metaphor on <laughs> this right because if you if you look at a salad bowl uh, lettuce is always going to be lettuce tomato is going to be tomato yep and you know you, you're just not going to have a tomato lettuce some sort of hybrid in between right unless you want to cook it down cook it down into a soup melting pot and yeah. everything has to melt it out so neither one is good neither mm -hmm. one is good neither one is good uh, a good metaphor for human nature if we have a fundamental understanding about human being as a fixed entity then yeah like you have your own culture i have my own culture and yeah. that's not worry about it but the thing is, the thing is that theologically, that's just not sound, right? We're continuing to be renewed day by day. That means we're being changed all the time. This is the life of discipleship. Right. And the question is that how are we changing? Because right now, the Mike Chen that, that, that is in 2020 is going to be different, uh, Mike, different Mike Chen in 2025. 
And I hope that I change for the better. And I hope that the changes I experience is because the goodness of John is adding into this 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 identity of my chin. Right. Now, so so I think in a in a similar way, that's how we see racial diversity and mm-hmm. color. Mm-hmm. It is true that when people say colorblind, but colorblind is this this you know you talk about utopian vision and that is devoid of real sense of you know real grounding. Mm. The truth of the matter is in the particular context of, of United States, race is, has shaped our history and continues to shape our daily experience. So we must recognize the way in which color and race shape the way we come together, right? We often get confused between the two terms, equality versus equity. Mm-hmm. Equality means that we all have, we are all being given the same thing. Mm-hmm. But imagine, imagine, you know, there's a this is adopting from Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's picture. Uh, they have a, a nice little picture where equality, for example, is you have. You have an a, 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 an elderly, a a speed bike racer, a mom, a mother, and then a five-year-old kid, and you give them all four of them the same size of bicycle, and you tell them to bike the same kind of bicycle to reach point A to point B. How does that make sense to you? Hmm. It wouldn't, right? You will give the elderly a slightly different version of bike. Mm-hmm. You'll give the racer a different bike. You give the you'll give them a different size of bike. You'll give a five year old maybe haven't learned how to do you know do a training bike or or a balanced bike. You give them the bike that's most appropriate for them to succeed. Mm. So right now, depending on the community you're from depending on your skin color, depending on the cultural group and affinity group that you're in, you have a different access and ability to go from point A to point B. And we say that we continue to have equality, meaning we want to give everybody, I mean, everybody has the same chance, but that's just not true. Hmm. We had to be sensitive to the way in which we give the different kinds of tools for people to succeed. Now, whether they use that tool to succeed is up to them. But as far as what we can do for those who are in the position of power, such as heads of school in, in Christian schools, we need to be wrestling with that question. Thank you. So that's my response. Yeah. <laughs> that's my response. No, I really would love to continue to unpack a lot of these things. Really appreciate the time today, and I, I'm hoping that we can continue yeah. the conversation and record a few more episodes to dive yeah. into a different aspect of of diversity and and and, and inclusiveness and equity and justice in, in Christian schools and whatnot. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, John. Thank you for joining us for the MindShift.School podcast. Again, you can find the book MindShift, Catalyzing Change in Christian Education on our website at mindshift.school. 
Make sure to share this episode with anyone who might be interested in this topic or leave a review on iTunes. That helps us a lot. We share interesting and useful resources on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. So be sure to check us out there and come back next time for more conversations like this. Thanks for listening. This was the MindShift.School podcast.